To paraphrase Hunter S. Thompson, when you get locked into a serious beer collection, the tendency is to push it as far as you can. Cheers. Son of a bitch! Give me a drink! Takeover Podcast exclusively uses the Physics Draft Beer System to dispense all of the beers we review. Physics utilizes sonic wave technology to create the ideal density microphone head on your beer. It delivers a fresh from the tap draft beer experience that you can enjoy at home or on the go with no need for any external gas or additives. Just four AA batteries. Physics tasting is believing. It's the Tap Takeover Podcast, coming to you from the Solid Non-Fail Podcast Studio. I'm your host, Alex Kuhn, and we're doing some celebrating. Cheers, gentlemen. Cheers. Let's go around the table and introduce ourselves. Yeah, I'm Jim Anderson. Andy Kamoski here. And we have quite a bit to celebrate this episode. We've got another installment in our Craft Brewery interview series, and we've had an addition to the Tap Takeover Podcast family. Andy, why don't you tell us about why you weren't with us for our most recent interview? Oh, well, my uh, first child, my baby boy, Dylan, uh, a.k.a. Roscoe. <laughs> Your mom wouldn't <laughs> let me name you that. <laughs> Came into the world a little early for us, uh, so I missed the interview because I was at the birth of my first child, uh, and I was more than happy to miss it for that. Love you, little man. Well, I think that's amazing. And uh, there's no better reason to sit down with some friends and have a few beers than uh, the birth of your, your first child. Uh, Jim, you, you've, you've got a daughter. Uh, was it the same for you? Did you sit down, have a few beers, celebrate the event? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Drank uh, pretty heavily, especially after we brought her home. And she was keeping us up all night. So I'm like, I, I'm going to have to drink pretty heavily to get through this. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Jim, why don't you tell us who's taking over the taps at the Tap Takeover podcast today? Well, this episode, we have Jim McCabe of Milwaukee Brewing Company on board, gave us a great interview, talking about Milwaukee Brewing Company, its roots in Milwaukee history, and again, breaking news. That's right. We've got beer advocates, you know, for the entire craft brewing industry, Jim McCabe. Uh, it was a fantastic interview. Andy, you weren't there. Uh, you've just taken a listen to it. What, what do you think of Jim's insights on his... His passion and obsession for beer, where that came from, and uh, you know the new facility that uh, might be opening up uh, somewhere soon. Oh yeah, he teased a new facility. Uh, it's been something that's been in the works for a while, and I think uh, a lot of Milwaukee's looking forward to visiting it. They're pretty infamous for their tours. He seems passionate. I mean, pretty ridiculous. I would have loved to see him as uh, seen his uh, home setup. He was talking about cranking out twenty gallons of beer a week for friends is uh, pretty ridiculous. Before he actually started MKE, you can understand where the the man came from and uh, right now we're doing a, a tasting as we do <laughs> here at the tap takeover podcast right now on the tap we've got the louis demise excuse me the louis resurrection so the louis demise is a nice amber ale with a, a bit of a sour mash uh, we've got jim talking about that himself in the interview and then we've taken this one the louis resurrection and it's been aged it previously in previous years uh in 
bourbon barrels, this time around in brandy barrels. So very Wisconsin. Wisconsin consumes, I believe it's 70 to 80 percent of, yeah, of all the, the nation's, brandy produced yeah, in the nation. All the brandy produced. The other place would be New York because of the Manhattan drink. But it's a very Wisconsin thing, the brandy. What do you guys think about this beer in the brandy barrel? Yeah, so it comes across definitely sweeter. There's, it is interesting. This is my first brandy barrel aged beer. Uh, obviously had a lot of bourbon barrel aged. That's definitely the du jour um, for your beer. Uh, it adds a, a touch of sweetness to uh, the malt. So it definitely comes across much sweeter uh, than the bourbon barrel version. I mean... I love the original. I think Louis Demise was fantastic. I, I thought the resurrection last year with the bourbon barrel age. I thought that was fantastic. Uh, not not too big of a fan of this one. I mean, it's 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 okay. The brandy's just a little too sweet for me. I mean, the 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 physics uh, weight tap, which we use to dispense uh, this one, because it just comes in twelve ounce bottles. I'd give it a nice smooth, creamy head. It, it tasted good and it held that carbonation in there. But I'm just it's it's just okay for me. Like like we say around here, it's uh, it was a solid non-fail. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, this is solid non-fail. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's got a great bouquet on it. I mean, the nose is coming across well, but um, just uh, too much malt and sweetness. Yeah, I would say it um, smells better than it tastes. Yeah. Well, we're going to try this beer specifically with Jim McCabe later on in the interview. Uh, so we'll get his thoughts on this one. But uh, right now, we're going to jump to our second tap. For our next beer, we're going to have the Cherry Bounce in the uh, 750 milliliter bottle here. So this is the, again, another brandy barrel age, but it's aged with cherries so, so it's the louis resurrection yep. but now it's been added to uh door county cherries mm-hmm. so if you thought it was sweet before hold on to your hats <laughs> i think the tartness of the cherries i haven't tried it yet but the tartness of the cherries might might take a little bit of the sweet away it'd be a sweet and sour yeah. almost and, and the uh, abv is cranked up to 10.2 i mean so there's definitely a lot more fermentation so i expect it to be a lot drier at 10.2 um, and also uh, we should mention in our first interview with russ clish we talked about that uh, that little symbol for cellar aging beers. This one definitely has it. This is definitely yeah, a cellarable beer. And so if you think it's sweet now, it might be the sort of beer that would be perfect to put in your cellar for a year, possibly even two. Let that sweetness really settle into the beer. Let the, the alcohol kind of settle in there and see what those flavors and that brandy barrel really taste like after a year or two. I mean, when we, when we tried the Black Friday in our last episode, we found that the barrel really started to speak to us after a couple of years. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, and I think that's a great idea for for local Wisconsin breweries. I mean, I think that's something that could go nationwide, having a symbol like that. Yeah, because you wouldn't know whether or not uh, you need to drink this straight up or if you really should be laying it down. And uh, obviously, we're drinking this a little early, great, because it's a 2016 version. I mean, some beers um, you just know, too. Like, we, you know... I popped a bottle of black gold for my wife because, you know, she can finally return to drinking again after, <laughs> after popping the kid out. Even, like you said, Jim, that stuff was hot coming out, mm-hmm. and that's been aged for three years already in the barrels. I think it, something's to be said after it comes out of that barrel for it sitting in a cellar yeah. for that really to seep into the beer. Yeah, it's uh, very similar to wines, right? Uh, wine spend uh, can, can spend a considerable amount of time in the barrel, but when uh, they really shine is in the bottle. After they've been laid down five, eight, ten, fifteen, hundred years. What do you guys think of this one? No, I think the cherry actually balances out the sweet. The tart of the cherry actually balances it out. And I mean, like I said, the other one was a solid. You know, the just the resurrection and brandy barrels was a solid non-fail. But this is actually good. I mean, I think this is this is a win. This is edging into win territory. This is edging into win territory. Yep, it's still it's still definitely on 
the sweet side, though, the cherries and the tartness of that really help balance it out. And the higher ABV uh, is definitely hot right now. This is definitely a sellable beer. <laughs> a little strong, apparently, too. It is 10.2, so yeah, it, it's got a little bit of a kick still. So this definitely needs to lay down for at least a year, similar to the Black Friday 2016. I mean, you can definitely, in that, that, that physics head, you definitely get the cherry smell. The aroma of cherries just kind of sort of pops off of it. Yeah, I, I think the cherry the cherry hits you, bam, right at the beginning. The cherry hits you, but then it fades into that alcohol, which is really nice. I think you're right. I think after a year or possibly even two, I think that cherry is going to fall off a bit, and you're just going to you're going to get a little more of the barrel every year. Yeah. You know, you're mm. going to get a little bit more of the I don't know what's what's in the, a the brandy and the cherry will sort of mellow out and blend together. What's yeah. in a brandy barrel? How how would you guys say a brandy barrel is going to be a little bit different than a bourbon barrel? Are you still going to get the the vanilla oak notes? You're going to get the oak, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. But the vanilla notes, the So generally, uh brandy's aged in new French oak barrels, unlike bourbon which is more charred American oak. So and this being my first brandy barrel, it is interesting to get that difference and there's a distinct difference yeah. between the two barrels far and away. Um, so it'll be interesting. I don't know how it's going to age. Though I'm a sucker for f- fruit flavor beers. So I really do like the cherries in this. Mm-hmm. It's it's really good. It's unique. It definitely tastes good. I think that was actually the right call to, you know, with the brandy barrels to put the cherries in there with it. And I don't think the cherries would work with the bourbon barrel at all. I really don't. And I think that's what's really fun about our podcast is doing these side-by-side comparisons. So, you know, people can get a real impression, you know, in, in the moment of what but uh, what, a, what a beer tastes like, number one, but what a beer tastes like with a variation. And I, I, I hope that that's what we're bringing to you guys. You know, you know what we should start doing, Alex? We should do this. We're gonna we're gonna start throwing out some of the beers we're gonna try on our Facebook, on our Twitter, and we're gonna ask for your opinions on them before we review them. I think that's a fantastic idea, Andy. Uh, let Let's definitely start doing that. I see Jim on his phone right now. Are we live tweeting? Uh, 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 trying to trying to trying to tweet tweet out here. Okay. Trying to do some social media. Yeah, we're figuring out this whole uh, social media thing. <laughs> all right, all right. We're kind of broken up into into squadrons with the social media. You know? we're, we're like terrorist cells. They they just can't, they can't take us. Down. Down because we're all on different social media and uh, all right this episode can't go on the internet anymore <laughs> <laughs> all right so let's uh i think that's a great jumping off point to get back in this interview with jim mccabe so let's talk about the new facility let's talk about where jim's passion comes from and let's talk about jim as an amazing advocate for craft brewing back to the Tap Takeover podcast interview series, and I'm with Jesus and Jim, and we are here with Jim McCabe, president and owner of Milwaukee Brewing Company. How are you doing, Jim? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Fantastic. Awesome. Thanks for having us. Sure. It's a good day to be in a brewery. Damn Always a good day to be in a brewery. We wanted to ask you a few questions about some of your beer styles, some of your beer choices, uh, definitely your awards. You know, we're going to kind of go around the spectrum of, of the brewery. Sure. Uh, Jesus, you've been coming here longer than most of us. I think you were on the very first tour that uh, this place ever well, see, put together. I'm glad we got this uh, We're recording because I want to make sure. Was I in the second or first tour? or It had to be within the month. It, as far as the, the first official tour, I think if you really wanted to call it a tour, that was, that was the first tour. That was and the there first. was yeah. And there was how many of us? There was. It was me, my friend Jeremy, <laughs> you, and the guy serving us. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and back it. then it was five dollars, oh, yeah. all you can drink, and I do not. Oh, you could sample. Well, okay. Right. <laughs> well, yeah. we can sample yeah. a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so, but what was awesome is I I was trying to bring 
think back. I don't remember ever being asked to leave. <laughs> so I guess I just left because I was hungry. <laughs> but it was a fun time, and I remember it was a, it was a best deal in town. It's $5, all you can sample, and we came back every Friday for, what, two months? <laughs> there was a period of time. There was a period of time. No, but it was great. And but you great got to, to watch us kind of figure out how to do it, too. So Yeah, it was, a, it was great. To, there was a couple of tours where I jumped in. I'm like, you forgot to mention this. Yeah. You forgot to mention this. Well, so. it's, it's really great to be back because the, the brewery has changed remarkably. Uh, you've got the, the the sort of uh, bar area up in front that sure. definitely wasn't here when we first right. started. What what other uh, big changes have you made? Well, the biggest thing is is just cramming a lot more capacity in here. Um, I think when when you guys first started, we were just getting the canning line going. You know, we were the the first Wisconsin craft brewer to, to attempt to can, so that was starting at the time. But but the if you look at all these tanks around us, um, that represents capacity. We were we were at a small fraction of what we're we're putting out of here now. So. Yeah, you're one of the first green or eco-friendly breweries in uh, probably the U.S., uh, definitely Milwaukee. Uh, what was the inspiration for moving to canning, uh, incorporating biodiesel as a, a fuel? I guess. And uh, how has it evolved over the years since you started? It's It kind of goes to the company ethos. I mean, before I even opened the Yale House back in the day, I was working for an environmental engineering firm. So it was kind of it's kind of in my blood. That's what I've always um, been passionate about. Um, whether whether it was just composting at home, having a garden, you know, everything, anything in my personal life. So it became part of the culture of the company. And as an engineer, too, the um, anybody that's manufacturing, regardless of how bootstrap your operation is, the technology is out there to do things in a more sustainable, green way. So, you know, you don't have to just hodgepodge things together. Even if you're putting old equipment together, you can take a sustainable approach to it. So biodiesel is a good example of that. We were paying someone to take away fryer oil from the alehouse, and we, we started messing around with it in little portable heaters and when we bought our boilers on ebay we we picked up an extra boiler and and set it up to run run the fryer oil so it was a it was a natural thing it's a no no voc non-carbon fuel and and actually our brewers prefer that boiler because it it runs hotter than the natural gas boiler so sometimes it actually works both ways canning is one of those where you know canning has the green component to it the sustainable components to it but it's actually as brewers it's a preferred package yeah, definitely more economical. So the, well, the, yeah, but but better for the beer, arguably. Oh, yeah, because yeah. no light. Correct. So uh, one of the things I've been meaning to ask you for a while now, there is uh, something missing from the tour, and that's the Love Rock. Ah, so, yeah. <laughs> what happened to the Love Rock? It's, um, <laughs> you know, sometimes it's just a sales thing. You know, we and that one, it's a Vienna lager. It's a great recipe. We hope to bring it back. Um, we'll talk a little bit probably about our... our newest construction project and uh, we're, we one of the things with the lager is it takes a little more time and and, and uh, ties up capacity the other was it, it wasn't one of our stronger sellers maybe it was the name I don't know but but it was a great it is a great recipe and and we, we don't we don't call it having gone away we say it's in the bullpen it's okay. it's not not it's, gone forever and there's also a more green version that was filled with concrete there was yeah so we were trying to push the take this green messaging to your house and uh, this was this was somewhat successful I wouldn't say 100% successful but the idea was was you uh, we, we were giving people these concrete beer bottles and you'd put these in the back toilet back toilet tank and it actually saves you know it displaces some of the water per flush and it saves thousands of gallons of, of fresh water going, you know, treated water going back into the sewers and back into the treatment system. So um, it's still something anybody can do. You can just drop a, a beer that you don't like in the back tank of your toilet and 
or save one for you know some quiet time in the bathroom. Well, you talked about the beginnings of the ale house. I sure. Mean, what was, I guess, I'm always confused about that because it has to do something with restrictions. What was the reason to start at the ale house, then here, and what is the connection to the ale house right now? Okay, that's a good question. Well, um, with that said, we should pick this beer up. This is okay. Louis. <laughs> this Absolutely. this is Louis' demise. This is the beer that uh, I was home brewing yeah, in my uh, in my basement. We should mention we're doing a live ta- a tasting while we do the interview. We could be kicked out of here soon, but let's just keep it rolling. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Louis Louis was uh, one of the beers that that was um, a home brew. It's a, it was at the time it was a kind of an alt beer meets a meets an amber. So it, it it's back when most of the hops that were available in the mid 90s were a lot of european hops so these are all your yeah. these are all your noble hops your tetanang and your hollow tower and but but there's also the cool thing back in that time that makes it unique is there's a belgian malt in there that that gambrinus that just sour malt and that's what gives it that kind of cool mid palate that's different than most ambers out there so yeah because i I'd, uh, just recently been reading up on this and it was for the first time they used a uh, uh, sour mash yeah in, yeah in so th- that, i mean that was a tricky thing when i was a home brewer and um so there was a lot of things in my spiral notebook that were louis <laughs> demise one louis demise two <laughs> louis surprise there was all kinds of different versions but um but you know it, it this is very close to still what what was that original beer and one of the one of the four home brews that became part of the original lineup at the ale house so the big deal in the 90s was the the craft beer thing was was you know, I was traveling for the environmental engineering firm and hanging out in, in Seattle a lot, and I'd come back to Milwaukee, and we had this great beer culture back then of big breweries and a lot of pride in, in the brewing culture, but we weren't, you know, we weren't doing a lot of this small-scale production that's going on here and now in the, you know, and, and what I was seeing around the country. So kind of got the bug to quit my day job and, and want to do this, but all the, in the 90s, the, there was no retail outlet for craft beer, really. I mean... Yeah. Whether it was whether it was a liquor store or a bar, a bar was a bunch of, of industrial beers lined up, and that was it. That's all that would be on tap. And then a liquor store, it was it was basically there was nowhere to put craft beer. So um, so we you know just playing around with the business plan, everything pointed to the idea that we had to do kind of a West Coast style brew pub, a big you know create get people educated about your beer within the four walls of a of of a brew pub, which is now the now the cool thing is to call it a tasting room, but it, it's basically what it is. It's a, it's it's a place where you can get people familiar with the beer, and that's that's why I went the direction of opening a brew pub first. Okay, so, so it wasn't a restriction thing; it was just kind of to introduce no, the craft. Part. I would have loved to just jump right into the microbrewery thing, but but the market you would have gotten lost. The, in the market the shuffle, at the time. Right? Yeah. Well, and there was there was a ton of bad beer in the '90s, and. And uh, so there, it was really a chance to, you know, the, the stuff on the shelves was really, you know, it was, a, it was the craft beer industry was going up and down because, you know, there were so many people were getting put off by bad beers and things like that. People didn't understand the, the product that well. But brew pubs were a way to really, you know, one on one hand sell the beer. So the. I mean, your involvement with the ale house has never changed. It's always been nope. constant, even though you, this is place open. It's still the Correct. same kind of this thing. Correct. This is just our ability. Well, and and funny thing is, Milwaukee Brewing Company's always been the corporate name. Back in when I was thinking about opening the ale house, this is when uh, internet was a lot slower. I think I I found it on the dial-up that that Milwaukee Brewing Company looked like it was available, and I hopped in my car and drove to Madison that minute and uh, went and registered the name because I'm like, there's no way someone else isn't thinking of this. And that was one of the questions and, I had. Like, <laughs> how, there, yeah. how soon? Was Such it? A oh, it was as soon as I mean that was about that was about two years before the uh, alehouse opened that I registered it. Um, so it's it's always been the intent to uh, have the alehouse be the birthplace of the brand and grow. If you go to the alehouse now and look above the doors to the brewery, it's it says Milwaukee Brewing Company above the door.
stores. It always has. It's yeah. been up there since we opened in 97. And, and Jim was also mentioning about the old school beers at the Ale House. Mm-hmm. You went through a rebranding thing. Is it just because of this growth, or is that just kind of giving a jolt to the old flavors? Or like, you didn't yeah. change the recipe? No, no. I think what I think what I think beer is is. I mean, one of the things you learn, you know, one of the great things about brewing in Milwaukee is, you know, we're in an agricultural state. We have the best fresh water. We have the human resources that know beer. But you know, one thing we learned from the big guys is is that you know, regardless of how good your liquid is, you know, you've got to make really good liquid, but. Um, you know, you do have to get a, put together a brand that people resonate with, and and uh, we had kind of a classic look to a lot of our branding. And and uh, a friend of ours, Mark Fairbanks, who I've known always since the beginning of the Ale House, he's a he's a terrific designer, and we got together with him and kind of looked at this kind of updating and modernizing, and really identifying with the city of Milwaukee. And that's where the MKE and Skyline came in, yeah. and, and and all the names and like the Booyah new, and uh, well, and some of the new graphics yeah. and some of the new names. But yeah. the you know those the ones that came with new name, no beers from that time got renamed they would it was just those are just new beers that we've come out with so like oh, okay. love rock is love rock's still gonna if we bring back that vienna lager it's still gonna be called love rock it'll just be if, when it comes out of the bullpen it'll be that beer so. well going along the same lines uh in last week's podcast we heard about the idea of retiring beers yeah and uh when is a line too big i guess what is what is the sweet spot for you because when we're, t- we were waiting for you um gentleman here helping us said you know there's all these different variations of this and i mean it's just just talking to him was 40 different beers yeah it's um and and you know and Would you I, i've known the places forever and yeah. you know i mean they probably struggle with the same thing is you've got a lot of creative people and everybody's got ideas and every idea sounds good and is delicious and and uh everybody's gonna love this beer and, and before you know it you have this this unruly list of beers and Do and you know how many lines total you guys have well if you, if you count everything it's <laughs> So yeah, we've got, too. I mean, we got six year rounds. We've got the four regular seasonals within the year rounds. Now our, our citrus series and our stout series have four different variations within that. And then, then we get into the, what we call the urban legend series, all the Rishi tea beers. Mm-hmm. And then we get into the, our 750 series, which, which there's a, there's an, about a dozen of the, of the uh, bottle condition beers now. And, and, and you're absolutely right. And that, well, we didn't even mention the barrel aging program and, and, uh, all the extensions of Louis' demise, and uh, you know, you see our limited ability to store barrels. But you know, that is something we're going to be able to do with the new brewery as well. But um, more of that. But but to the point about retiring beers and focusing is is it's a very noisy time in the industry for mm-hmm. you know there's so many brands and so many things going on. Is you really do have to kind of look at whether you're you know you're just doing a lot of things because they're really fun and delicious, but you know what what are people drinking your beer for? What are they coming to your brand for? And and so it is hard sometimes to retire or put things in the bullpen but it is important to focus on what people are are uh, what they care about in your brand so so when when you were just drinking beer way back when just what, yeah. <laughs> when when did the switch flip in your head where you said I think I can do this better than some of the stuff I've been doing. Um, and w- was there a you know, certain the, the, beer style involved with that? No, you know, not a. No, I mean, a, a lot of time in Denver and, and the Northwest, trying things that I hadn't hadn't tried anything like before. But you know, uh, as an engineer, my homebrew setup turned into a, an unruly, huge 
um, monstrosity that was very consistent. It was a great setup. And, uh, you know, the, my, so I was, I mean, I was putting out about 20 gallons every Sunday to keep up with the demand of friends. And, and, wow. And, uh, <laughs> you got a lot of alcoholics for friends. <laughs> it's a lot of beer. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of beer going out. And it was a lot of it, you know, we were, by that time you learned the, the beauty of the corny, uh, the Cornelius kegs. And, yep. you know, and that, that made life a lot easier if people just, if they needed a whole five gallon container, they got a whole five gallon. So, you know, the beer was coming out very consistently at that point, and people, you know, were saying, hey, I haven't tasted anything like this. So, you know, got the bug and figured it out. So you've been an advocate for the Milwaukee craft beer industry as a whole. Now that we're seeing a lot more breweries come online, and you've mentioned that there's so many different beers, how do you compete for taps and shelf space and uh, get your beers uh, be up there for sale? Um, well, yeah, it helps. It helps to have some traction, you know, that we're, we've been out here for a while. So tap lines are very competitive. There's no doubt. There's there's a lot of growing pains when you're a brand new brewery, and I think people get. I mean, we'll give a lot of new brands a try, but there's something, you know, with with to a, if you're a bar owner to something that you know is going to sell and a known entity. So. You know, you, they, they like to, just like a consumer walking into a liquor store, the bar owner likes to throw something out that's a little adventurous and then, but have some stuff on there that's that's reliable and, and we fall into that category. And we're also doing a lot of innovation too, so we satisfy some of the uh, some of the need for new stuff. I think, you know, I think there's um, there's some amazing stuff coming out of the, uh, the small brewers, but that's just, I see a lot of guys putting on more and more uh, draft handles, really. I think everybody's expanding, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I for sure have definitely seen more places open up with 50-plus handles, right? I mean, before you had Fennels at 30, and that was like, oh, my gosh, uh, that's the one place to go. And then Sugar Maple, uh, now I mean, 50, 80 tap handle places popping up all over the place. Yeah, just right. talking about places in Milwaukee, and then you've got, like, the, what is it, the... Uh, Yard stick or something like that down in Chicago, which oh, is yard house. A, yeah, yard house yeah. becoming a chain. Yeah, 140. You know, exactly. Yeah. So you see a lot of places around the country opening up with these huge tap lines. Yep. So it's it really is a challenge to get your beer out there to uh, to the masses. It is, but the craft beer scene has changed. I mean, we, we're not looking at where I, when I started in the beer business, craft beer was was three percent of the market, and uh, you know, and, and it was just a weird thing. It was a weird odd thing, and now it's now it's mainstream taking over more and more of, of the beer scene in general so it's the sky's the limit on, on the volume of craft beer that's going to be selling. So have you seen a lot of change in the city of Milwaukee itself? It's, oh. it's kind of a Miller Miller like town right? Yeah so. yeah when I when I first opened the L House I mean we were I mean, I'd served this Louis demise and people would be at you know saying it's too warm need it in a chilled mug and some guys were throwing salt in the beer you know like <laughs> what are you doing? That's crazy. And uh, you know knocking the head down with salt and uh, it's come a long way. It's come, I mean, we. it's now, we're a very craft-savvy town. You can just tell by the, the, the acceptance of all these new tap rooms and and, uh, and small breweries that are coming online that, that uh, there's the pride for beer, uh, beer making in Milwaukee is on the is on the upswing in a big way. So in, in doing research for our interview today, uh, we came across a YouTube video around five years ago. You spoke in Portland at a Save Our Craft Breweries rally. Uh, very passionate, eloquent speech uh, detailing the challenges of the three-tier distribution system. Uh-huh. And for artisanal craft breweries like yourself in, in particular, how have these challenges changed over the last half decade, and how has your brewery changed to adapt? 
the challenges haven't gone away. I mean, I think I think they, they still exist. And the control of um, all the beer regulation, after Prohibition, the beer regulation went to the states. Our state is a state that should be, we should be solidly top 10, if not five, in the craft beer production and export of craft beer from our state. And, you know, we're ranked in the, you know, in the almost 20th in terms of volume of production and number of breweries. And, and uh, a lot of that has to do with the restrictive legislation. It's just, you know, for example, you know, our model was, was to kind of grow like uh, like a, a Goose Island or a Bell's is, is have, have uh, a couple of tap rooms and, and uh, a production brewery to support that. But the tap rooms to make sure people knew what the beer tastes like and that it was tasting correct in those places and you just can't you can't do that model in wisconsin you you have you have, we have what's called the destiny clause now where you have to be either a, a small on-premise brew pub style thing where you can just like uh like great dane where you can have a bunch of retail or you can be a production brewery with very limited retail so yeah. that's that's one example there's a million other examples but it is legislation is is a challenge and and a restrictive part of what we do or we're working on that right now to make our new brewery happen. Actually, we have to get some couple things worked on for that. Yeah, let's let's talk about the new facility. So sure. It's, it's been in the works for about a year now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's one of the old Paps buildings, which is Correct. pretty exciting. Uh, you guys have actually gotten a lot of your equipment from the Paps. Uh, as it turns out, uh, yeah, things come full circle. <laughs> I used to I used to take the Paps tour back when I was at Marquette all the time. That was our Friday tour, like yours was here, yeah. and. and uh, and I used to correct the tour guide once in a while myself. And perhaps that, yeah, old boy is right. It didn't go over very well. Uh, but uh, anyway, that then I got to go and yank equipment out of there when when the when it was all mothballed. And we have a lot of that Pabst equipment in this brewery when we were putting this together on a shoestring. And and uh, what's funny now is going right back into the same facility and, and building a brand new brewery. So it's it is fun to come full circle on that. So, so what uh, what would you say are your challenges for 2017? Well, building this brewery, I'd okay. say um, this a is a big one. deal, and 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 teeing up our ability to focus on the brands like you talked about, the brands that we're going to really push as we grow the brewery, and and uh, and then also teeing up the the market for having a lot more volume available finally because we're so we're volume limited right now. So, uh, what is your current volume, and what are you looking to expand to? We're at, we finished up 2016 at about 13,000 barrels, and we should be able to we'll be able to produce easily north of 20,000 out of the new brewery right away. At the, um, you know, in 2018, we'll be a well north of, of 20, and with with the ability to go, it'll, a lot more ability to expand. As you can see in the space we're in right now, it's you know we, we are squeezed. Yeah, actually, it's funny where where we're standing right now. We're at the the tap portion of the the tour. Right. And I remember this place. This portion being a lot more wide open. Now it's yep. just there's tanks everywhere. We're, tanks we're literally everywhere surrounded and, by and tanks and now. Like we just got an order of glass in yesterday, and that just squeezes us. And you know, it's it's just uh, this facility is is just undersized for what we're trying to do these days. So a good problem, but it'll be amazing when we get the new facility open for a lot of reasons. For a while, it was really difficult for breweries looking to expand to even get equipment. Uh, how has that changed? Is it easier now to actually get brand new big tanks? In? Actually. New isn't a problem. I mean, I you know, I we used to be able to find used equipment pretty readily, and and the day is coming where that'll be available again. But for what we're building over at the Paps facility, um, it it's gonna that one's gonna be all new. That's all new. Uh, it's a new brew house. First time I get to, it'll be awesome. To, well, actually, the Yale House is a brand new system, um, but on a production scale like this, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be awesome to have a facility that's purpose built and 
doing exactly what our because there's some unique things about our our beer and our production that we're going to be able to do very efficiently over there okay well i think uh the, the sound of the overhead door says we should probably move this somewhere else and get another beer okay but we're going to change location but we'll talk about i want to talk about og louis resurrection your bottle series and definitely get into physics so we'll be right back as well as yeah definitely yep. more on the and did cool. I mention a beer? Let's get a beer. Let's yeah, let's do that. <laughs> so really exciting hearing about their new space opening up uh, downtown. Tremendous, doubling their capacity. So I, I'm hoping for some new and exciting experimental beers, given that now they have a huge production space at the Paps Brewery area. Let's let's talk about their barrel aging capacity. If we're going to talk about their brewing capacity, I think sky's the limit. You know, I mean, the the limit is literally the sky right now in their current facility because all they can really go is up. Yeah. And you know, if you can spread that out, uh, it's oh, it's going to be amazing. They do so many interesting things as it is. I mean, they expand their barrel aging processes you know time to jump on the stout train right yeah they don't really produce a stout right now i mean they've got the porter that we talk about coming up they've got the stout series uh they've got the sheep's head stout they've had the polish moon is that that's oh yeah the milk stout yeah Yeah. the milk stout so they've had they've had kind of a stout series going on they've got a number of different series it's pretty interesting but they they did well at uh fobab here with this uh barrel aged og and the gin barrels yeah i mean if we're gonna talk about the barrel aging it's impressive for the OG. to talk about a gold medal so in, I'm saying in I'd Fobab. like to see them do a barrel-aged stout. Lakefront, we did Black Friday, la- our first episode, well, you know. They would need to have it. to come up with some a unique recipe, I yeah. think. Oh, yeah, they would. They I think they'd have to would. challenge themselves a bit. Like like you said, they've got they've got so many things in the pipeline, ideas in the pipeline. They do. So, MKE's been focused on becoming a production brewery, right? I mean, you got to make money, oh, yeah. and you got to produce beers people are going to buy. And I imagine the Louis Demise, I mean, at least in Milwaukee, area i'll still buy that every once in a while mm-hmm. you know i'm just looking for a six-pack to take over somewhere for a game or something like that produce really really good beer yeah i agree and it's really interesting so they're not doing the stout route with the barrel aging they they went in a, in a completely different direction with this gin barrel aged og so mm-hmm. it you know I'll, I'll tell you what me and jim most of our thoughts are already on tape because uh, we we live tasted this one with jim in the next portion of the interview so uh, the real question here andy is what do you think of the gin barrel aged OG. What do you think of the the Rishi tea flavors with that that wit style? You're talking about almost 10% alcohol, and then you age that sucker in, an, in a gin barrel. What do you think? I've never actually had a beer in a, in, out of a gin barrel before. I, you know, I've had tequila, tried the brandy, the bourbon. You know, there's even you know people aging beers in Pinot barrels. Chardonnay and, and barrels. Chardonnay barrels, yeah. and things like that. There's different wine barrels, yeah, but this it, is very different. Very different. It, it, there's definitely a gin taste to it and Fobab you know was right that you know they won an award for this at the Fobab show in uh, Chicago for the barrel aging programs across the nation and it's definitely delicious I mean it's it's a good beer so yeah I mean for the first time ever in gin barrels it's it's impressive and I'm not a big fan of gin to begin with but I think it really mixes well I, I like the original OG the Rishi tea and mixed in with the beer in the OG it just really blends well with the with the gin yeah a little bit of juniper berries and what what actually just for our listeners you know, who might not be that, that involved with the brewing industry who are just kind of coming to us for an introduction. What does uh, FOBAB stand for? So FOBAB uh, stands for Festival of Barrel-Aged Beers. The particular FOBAB that they have won this award at was uh, the one that's up and coming and getting huge in the in the Chicagoland area. And for high alcohol content, barrel-aged beers, three hours of steady tastings of that, <laughs> you're here, uh, 
you probably Ubered it somewhere. <laughs> yeah, it's really come, becoming the premier event. Uh, I don't know if anything else focusing strictly on barrel aging beers. Um, I think until the last few years. Yeah, for for as awards go in America, you're gonna have the GIBF, the Great American Beer Festival yep. out in Denver. That sets the standard in America. Yep. Yeah, uh, the World gonna, Championship and yep. includes Europe. And then you're gonna have the you know, you're the Fobab <laughs> in Chicago. As far as uh, right behind that, come back to Wisconsin for great taste of the Midwest. Yeah. That's just epic fun anyway yeah it's hard to wrap your mind on a festival like that when they're giving you a dollar ride dollar cab ride home to <laughs> anywhere in madison wisconsin that's a fun romp through uh through the beer tasting of uh, the midwest so what's really interesting in this next portion of the interview is when we talk to jim about the og and about mm-hmm. the barrel aged og and getting his impressions of it it was also amazing to talk to him about his awards and the awards that he's won specifically for that beer so you know i, I really really appreciate the fact that Jim was able to uh, to spend some time with us. And I, I think that's really the, the beauty of doing a podcast is that most brewery interviews with television and radio, you know, by nature of the medium, they, they need to be short, informal interviews. With our podcast, we can go far more in depth with these brewers. Uh, we can treat them like the rock stars that they are. You know, we can really get we, we get to know. How did you put it, Jim? Get to know the the brewer and the brew. Oh, and, the beer lover and the beer lover. The beer exactly. lover, exactly. I mean, it's it's a great thing when we can hear them talk about what they're excited about their sellers. Yeah, because everybody, at least today, for the most part, is really in it because they have a passion for beer. Uh, there's not a whole lot of money to be made, really. I mean, yes, there's some crazy money getting thrown around by the big boys but these are really rare breweries that are giving the 100 million plus uh, buyouts for the most part the 3,000 plus breweries that are in this uh, country right now are doing it because they love beer and they must love some kind of beers personally it's a pretty special time to be alive as a beer drinker right now would you say Yes, it is. I wish, and I've <laughs> stated this in the interview, uh, I wish I had a 25-year-old liver again because, damn, it's a good time to be alive. <laughs> well, that being said, let's uh, let's jump back into the interview here and let's talk about uh, Jim's cellared beers. Let's talk about, again, Jim's passion for brewing. We'll we'll right. So, Jim, my question was about the, um, the large bottles you had. In our interview with Russ... You made it a point that they were going from the large bomber bottles to you know, 12 ounce cans and or 12 ounce bottles, but it seems that you guys started with the bottles, cans, and now you're going to the larger um, 750 bottles. Mm-hmm. Is there a concern about distribution, or is what's no. the strategy? I guess so. The the idea, the large format bottles for us are primarily for bottle condition specialty beers that we're doing very limited runs on. We're not looking for wide distribution on any of this stuff. That's what we use the large format for. Everything else is in. 12 ounce and um, 16 ounce cans. And then uh, I, I definitely want to touch base on Louis Resurrection because uh-huh. that's one of my favorites. And I was kind of concerned when I heard that the it was going to go brandy barrel, but it's still tasty. But what was this? What was the reasoning from going bourbon barrel to brandy barrel? And is there ever uh, next year? Would you do both, or would you go back? I guess you know we is... we probably will keep playing with it. I mean we're starting to put a vintage on these things so you can track them and know the difference in them if you notice this one's got a got a marker on it you know the 16th and then uh, you know the brandy barrel thing came about because we have a relationship we developed a relationship with a brandy distillery in louisville called copper and kings and it turns out we know some people there some old colleagues and what they're doing is taking a bourbon barrel and aging brandy in a bourbon barrel 
And then we're taking, so it's got, you know, they're picking up some of that brandy char- uh, bourbon characteristic in their brandy, and then we take that barrel and age beer in it. So it is ultimately, it was originally a bourbon barrel after all, but it is a, it's brandy in a bourbon barrel. So it's, it, we've thought that the, the cool thing about aging Louis, the strong version of Louis that we do is, is a lot of things are stouts or these big, you know, dark beers in a, in a, in a bourbon barrel. And this, this is, this beer with the caramely characteristics of Louis uh, is, is basically, it opens up to the flavors of bourbon or brandy and we th- kind of thought we'd be moving into something that'd be a little bit more like an old-fashioned almost so we uh we, we thought the thing would work and it and it actually does it we, everybody really likes the brandy version oh look at that thing wow it's an orangus so what, what we wanted to do is this is not going to make for interesting radio, radio? no it <laughs> looks we're gonna, like we're gonna it looks like we're launching a mortar but he's yeah. putting a beer bottle in it so gonna, yeah, so this is the physics draft beer system uh it's uh-huh. going to put this creamy micro head on there using sound wave technology the tube goes into the beer, the beer goes into the canister, and then we are going to pour the beer out of there into a glass. It's going to start with a nice, steady, steady stream. You can kind of hear the buzzing. That's going to give you a nice, steady stream, and then as soon as he pushes back on that, it's going to give this cascade effect. So the sound wave technology is going through those those carbon molecules activating them. I'm, I'm curious to have your reaction to it. Well, it, it I mean, right off the bat, it... It has the it has the head of a nitrogenated beer. It doesn't quite have the reverse cascaded nitrogen, but it has the it has the residual small bubble head. And what's nice is there's no nitrogen used at all. No Which carbonation, is, no nothing. It's fantastic for the aroma. I mean, first thing I notice, and we're using the proper glass. It's another great for radio, but we're using a Belgian style <laughs> glass. Tulip glass, yeah. Tulip style glass, and it's so it's you know you can it's really focusing those the aroma, but it, it it clearly opens up the aroma. I mean, this is something if you're using this thing, you want to get this in front of your face as soon as possible and enjoy that because it's really it's fantastic for this beer because i'm getting all the i'm getting all the caramel here i'm going to pass that around that i'm going to you'll get all the caramel and you'll really get the you know a little bit of the the heat of the brandy in there and it's uh it works really well with that actually yeah it really opens up that louis device yeah so it's not really on the taste but it's more definitely well that's that, oh, excuse me i think i think that i think the text i think from there he died now yeah. he's back <laughs> yeah this is the this is him coming back so you know i think i think taste wise it it's a texture thing that's really nice so you get let's face it 70 percent of anything you taste whether it's food or beer or anything else um is is aroma so the fact that it's opening up the aroma the way it does is cool. That's really amazing. So the texture side is a bonus. It adds a really nice texture. In a malty beer like this, it's adding a lot of texture to the mouthfeel. That's a good plug. <laughs> Perfect. So this is the Tap Takeover podcast. Um, well, you, you get to edit. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. So half of this shit, nobody here. <laughs> Actually, now that somebody will. Yeah. That'll, take might be that, that'll be in there. So this is the Tap Takeover podcast. Uh, what would be an ideal Tap Takeover to introduce folks to Milwaukee Brewing Company? Uh, which beers would you choose to tell your story? I think the most unique thing right now to talk about is what we're doing. I mean, we've talked about Louis' demise in its original form. We just talked about how cool it is to try it aged in, in barrels. You guys are going to probably try the one that's aged in barrels with Door County cherries. Um, Spoiler and, alert, that will yeah, be on the tasting. That, that, <laughs> I'm icing down a bottle for you right now. So, I mean, you guys can do a little little uh, comparison and vertical on that. The uh, 
but I think what's really unique about what we're doing right now is some of the things we do with a local tea company here. Rishi Tea is a, a world-class tea company that happens to be based here in Milwaukee, and these guys started literally the same year as we started the Yale House across the street from the Yale House. We've known these guys forever, and they do amazing things, and uh, so many people don't know they're even from here, but we've developed a relationship adding flavors to beer using a lot of their tea. I mean, what was the reason? When I heard about this, it just so unique. Was it just your kind of wanting to play with tea in the beer? Was it? Yeah, well, I, I mean, think what, what, what kind of drove that? Was it a demand so we, or we've, a trend? Oh, not really a demand or a trend. It's just a flavor-driven thing. I mean, a lot of our guys, as you know, a couple of our guys, Kurt and Bird, our brewers, they, they are culinary guys by by trade and and we're always pushing flavor and trying to match beers to food and and when you start doing that i mean it opens you up to doing other things in the flavor of beer and and not unlike the belgians do with all kinds of crazy things and and the trends in sours there's you know there's really no limits to what what's okay in beer these days and and tea does a great job if you if you figure out how to balance it correctly and we were making actually um, in the early days of opening this brewery, we were making their chai tea concentrate for them in our kettles, and uh, they were there was a new product for them, and they, they were trying to figure out what they were gonna how they were gonna package it and everything. So we were helping them launch that product. And during those times when the the tea was doing its thing, we would be playing around. They'd be bringing over different teas, and in their world, we called it tasting. They called it a cupping. We were doing cuppings <laughs> with uh, mixing, sexual. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> mixing beers with. Uh, yeah, it kind of does. <laughs> Hands above the table. The, uh, <laughs> uh, so we, you know, we started playing around with with a lot of these flavors that they were suggesting. You know, they have, they have, they have a total, they had a totally different perspective on their palate than we did at the time, and and we've learned so much from those guys, and uh, and that's kind of evolved to where where our original was the OG, and uh, and a whole line series that have come from putting tea in beer. Yeah, well, actually, and the OG is actually in front of you right now. Yep. My my history with OG is interesting because it's one of the first beers um, that really knocked me on my ass because it, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it really crept up because it's yeah, over ten well, percent alcohol. Yeah, well, you think you're you're getting told, oh hey, here's a wit beer, or you're thinking, mm-hmm. oh, pff, yeah, you know what it, was it? What we were pushing four four five yeah. percent on this, and then all of a sudden you're like, boom, on your ass. You find out it, it was a nine four nine yeah nine point two, and it and, and it it does the balance of the, the the spices in here. There's chamomile tea, there's green tea, and ginger on top of the tip. Typical orange mm-hmm. peel and coriander that you have in a Belgian wit. Besides that, we brew it as a high gravity but still light bodied beer. So you know it, it is something to be careful with. You know we're you know when, when people are drinking uh, OG in the afternoon, I say it's a short story with a bad ending. It's, uh, <laughs> um, it, you got to be careful with this beer, but it, it it really is it is it is a testament to the ba- ability to balance all these crazy flavors because how we incorporate those teas um, is is not as straightforward as you might think. It's not just like a Belgian way. Yeah, the other thing that was interesting is the first version of the first incarnation of OG was actually called Godzilla. That's right. I want to know from like a what was the process of did, was that an internal thing of changing the name? Was it well, a, yeah, that, your legal department or someone else asked you nicely <laughs> to change it? No, that's a great question. I mean, we've you know the funny thing is we we've only gotten into a few uh, oops battles over the years with with names and and uh, some of those are pretty funny too. But the uh, the most funny in that realm is uh, being Milwaukee Brewing Company. We often get things that were meant to be directed at Miller, uh, oh, and so we have some beauties. But uh, um, but in the 
case of the Godzilla name change, uh, Godzilla was the working name when Kurt came up with this beer, our brewer came up with this beer in a working version. I mean, he was using all these Asian spices and he, and it was a monster beer, so we were calling it Godzilla. And that was just the, <laughs> that was kind of the working name. And, and uh, one of my business partners is also our, our corporate attorney and I just shot this over to him and he sent me back. He said, hey, we're going to, I think we're going to make this. And he shot me back four articles in about 10 minutes. He sent me back four articles and said, don't even think of it. And the articles were all the the, the people that own the Godzilla name and the trademark for for the actual uh, monster, oh, and all the people they've they've taken out, and the most unbelievable one was a Cabernet that was came out of you know a California Cabernet that was called Cabzilla. They not only had to, they had to pay him a huge fine, but they had to retract every bottle out of the market. It was all over the country, Oof. and uh, they even sued the Yankees because they gave away an inflatable Godzilla-looking thing one time now, at a who, game. Who is who owns Godzilla? I don't know. I don't want to know. I don't care. <laughs> I, the articles really were scary. It sounds like a bigger monster than yeah, Godzilla. Yeah, exactly. So we that's so, so the logo. So you is see the not guy. Godzilla. It, it, it's a it's a it's a um, ominous-looking lizard-like mon- monster that's bigger than the buildings. Yes. Hmm, but very generic. Yeah, very generic. But very generic. Very, yeah. So what? Um, because of the high alcohol, I'm assuming that's what kind of prompted. Logi come was it just yeah Logi was it, but yeah the idea of, up on you? so the the <laughs> idea of Logi was was exactly that an approachable um, sessionable version because everybody likes the spice combination that's that that's in Logi besides the fact that you know it's it's a it's, it's a very warm beer on the back end but it, that's where Logi came from was doing a, a sessionable version of this beer. Here on the Tap Takeover podcast, one of our main focuses is the beer collection and, you know, cellaring beers and the, uh-huh. the whole aging process in order to see how beers evolve over time. Uh, do you have a cellar collection and, and what does that look like? Uh, I do. It's it's a combination of beers that, I mean, you're talking personally or the brewery? No, uh, both. Or. Oh, no. No, I mean, and before you get, uh, Russ did invite us to have his, so I would expect you to invite us. <laughs> Continue. So yeah, this podcast is, is both about breweries themselves, but also the beer lovers as well. So we want right. to know also Jim McCabe, the beer lover. Yeah, so I mean, the the ones that are in my cellar that I've managed not to 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 uh, pilfer, uh, you know, like I've I've got like the stone vertical, and I, I do like to age some of the, the some of the funkier um, stuff, some of the sours and things to see how those do over time, some of the bottle conditioned sours, and um, both from like I've got a bunch from the brewery, and I've got some New Belgium perennials doing some stuff that I'm to see how it ages, and and then of course some of the the obvious stuff that everybody's got, some you know everybody's got a little Dark Lord and things like that, but um, uh, actually no. <laughs> <laughs> no. Actually, no, we don't have that. I think by everybody, you mean everybody who owns breweries. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, all my friends have it. <laughs> so you're talking about so, aging process. Right. Are you, so you're involved with this whole thing. With it, is it within the state? With the yeah, the Brewers class? Guild. And actually, this is something, you know, you mentioned last, last your previous podcast with Russ. And Russ is the one who came up with a, the great idea because, you know, we all run into this problem where, where – we're not really communicating to consumers which beers are good for laying down and aging and which beers you better drink it. Even though they might be in the same format bottle, they still might be in a lot, like the one sitting in front of us, the, this gin barrel aged OG, you know, it's really not, it's something you should drink in the first year, even though it's bottle conditioned. But, you know, you talk about something like a Dark Lord and, uh, you know, the beer can lay down for a number of years. And what I like about what Stone does and in their, in their anniversary beers is they have postings and, and they're constantly telling you tasting notes on how they're older. You know, you can follow, you know, seven and see how it's doing and how it's aging. So what, what Russ came up with was this, this mark with the Wisconsin Brewers Guild that goes on the label that, that indicates that this beer is meant to be cellar. Yeah, because one of the things 
things with aging anything, whether it be beer or wine, is not only do you not want to drink it too soon, you don't want to drink it too late. No. Because if you wait too long, uh, it can go bad on you or lose all the flavors. Uh, it can yeah. just turn into kind of a weird, sour thing that just has no flavor. There's no doubt. I mean, well, I mean, as far as too soon goes, the only too soon, I guess, would be a bottle-conditioned beer that hasn't fully conditioned. I mean, even a even a great, cellarable beer, you know, still can be enjoyed relatively fresh. It probably is going to pick up some complexity and by laying it down. But they definitely go past prime, and that's what's cool about what I like about what Stone does is they tell you, hey, if you've got any more of this left, drink it now. It's going, it's it's about it's starting it's to get a little vinegary. Yeah, it's, it's starting to get definitely past prime. And and any of us in the, in the beer business too, with a lot of the barrels that you see down there for experimentation, like we're pulling off of those barrels. There's a number on the uh, those barrels that are doing really bizarre stuff that we you know we literally let those things run for. You know, two years with a bunch of sour combinations, some you know Brett Lacto combo, and see where they where they kind of where the peak of each crosses, and keep notes on it, and then say, okay, if we're going to do this, you know, this has to be pulled off off the bugs at this time. And it's the same thing with a cellar. You know, there's a point where you know beer's going to change, and you want to pick it out at the right time. Yeah. So I noticed you had at least a couple barrels up there marked IPA. Just in our last podcast, we were talking about kind of the history of IPAs and what were they really like back in the day. And of course, they were barrel aged uh, yeah. on the ships to India. So what are you doing there? Can you give us uh, any hints on yeah, what's going nothing, on up nothing there? Nothing super secret there. We're just playing around with the idea of picking up some of that character in a because we do as as you guys probably know, some of our IPAs tend to be less West Coast style and what mm-hmm. we call Midwest style or malty backbone. So they stand up to the, the flavors that you can get out of a barrel. And so they're, they're, they're actually, um, from what we've been tasting, they're really delicious. It's, it's, uh, it's an exciting experiment. I guess one of the things that I really like about your brewery is the, the small brewery feel. Yeah. You know, the playing around with different stuff. I guess you, you may have touched it a little bit, but what is the process? So you got a bunch of guys saying, hey, let's play with this, let's... Let's kind of throw this together. When does it actually go? Does it is the thought that eventually, man, we could take that to the ale house, see how that goes? Yeah. What's the whole process? It depends like? on the beer, but I mean, first of all, we've got so many creative guys. I mean, the backlog of ideas is huge, and what happens is we, you know, we just we, we start to focus on something or or some barrels that we wanted to play with become available and certain ideas will percolate to the surface. If it's something really exotic, like the, the time it took to get OG from Kurt's homebrew to a commercial brew was a quite a quite a while, and that was a lot of small, small batches, you know, homebrew-style batches, because you had to get the spice balance down and then um, and then commit to an alehouse-size batch and then eventually the production-size batch. So, you know, the alehouse is still a commitment because it's still a 15-barrel batch. It's, it's a pretty big batch. So, you know, it, it, there are certain beers where we just come up with something like a, a we just got a hold of some hops that we've been hoping to play with and we make a new IPA over th- we, we can just run that at, we know we can run that at the alehouse reliably and we're just going to see how this new hop works with, with this malt bill or something and that we can scale up I mean you know we've been we've been at this for a while so you kind of know when when to take it take it slower and smaller and when you can when you can risk a 15 barrel batch but rarely do we, we does anything actually hit the full system without having gone through at least that alehouse size batch so like I think OG is pretty exotic you know mm-hmm. so what was the time frame uh, from, from the time when when Kurt was home brewing it as Godzilla and and to where we got it out on the street, it was 
almost two years because it was it was totally it was a lot different than it was now and the, the interesting thing is we're using grinding up fresh ginger we're using natural teas so the, the spice stuff is definitely something that you got to play with on every batch there's there's again boring yeah. boring radio but i'm going to open up this so what we've got here is actually not just the regular og that you've been sipping on this is a gin barrel aged og so what's a gin barrel because gin barrel gin is normally a, a steel tank spirit right it's a bunch of spices in a clear liquor remember this is bottle conditioned so there's stuff in the bottle so we so we've been drinking yeah. the the regular the regular OG this is the, the tap, yep, which is fantastic the, the everyday yep this one you get in the sixteen ounce can I think the tea really adds a nice smooth you know aspect to it mm-hmm. where like Jesus was saying you don't get wow. a huge alcohol feel from it you know? so now think of all the think of all the spices that you taste in the normal OG the layers of flavor now you add the juniper mm. and the, the qualities of gin to it and a little uh, bit right of, away I get gin all yeah. over the nose oh, yeah. honestly yeah. I mean and with the carbonation kind of a gin and tonic kind of thing going on but yeah I did want to touch briefly, we're talking about adjuncts uh, in general. Uh, one of the things that you do that I find uh, very delicious is your Sasquatch. Uh, not only is it a porter uh, versus just a, a lager or ale that most fall, pumpkin things are done. Uh, you do 800 pounds of grilled sweet potato. So how do you grill 800 pounds of sweet potato? Do you just like put a grill up in, in front of the uh, boil kettle nope. and just start like train lining them? Actually, we um, we get a hold of a big trailer mounted, essentially a smoker. You, you know, if you've ever been to a barbecue competition, you see these huge uh, eight foot long smokers. That's what we use. We, we, we fill those instead, you know, smokers are meant to run at a low temp. We just end up filling the whole thing with charcoal. <laughs> and running it like a regular grill and just start it's a two day it's literally two full days of filling this grill with sweet potatoes get we we, we get the outside skin nice and charred and get and wait and get the inside nice and caramely and mushy the results are great so we we transfer those off the grill into those into those white sanitary tubs and then they get poofed up to the from the grill into the brew house so the grill is actually out on the curb but it's a spectacle i mean yeah. it's a spectacle because we're we're talking about pallets of sweet potatoes and it, it takes quite a while yeah so, so uh okay. back to this uh gin barrel aged uh, OG. Right, so this is fantastic. We've done it two ways. So we've wow. we've each poured yeah. ourselves a glass, but then we've also oh, done yeah. one through the physics. And uh, you know what? I'm going to take a quick picture that we're going to post on the on the Facebook site. But the, the head on the two is absolutely remarkable. The the mouthfeel on the, the the physics one. I mean, let's just be honest. This is a great beer, Jim. You guys really really did a good thing here. It's uh yeah this so the so the gin is normally a just a bunch of spices and a clear liquor in a steel tank. Barrel the gin barrels are actually something that Great Lakes does right down the street. They take some of their gin and put it into a, a charred oak barrel, and it's a remarkable product on its own. But when they when they had these barrels available, we we thought it'd be fun to try. Yeah, it's a winner. So. So on Louis' demise, do you ever get the uh, he's dead, Jim, thrown at you? Because I would. Yeah. So. <laughs> so yeah, you mean the Star Trek yes. thing? Yeah. He's dead, Jim. So. <laughs> All right. This, I've is, got this it. is what if happens. I, if I had a so kazoo, here it is. If yeah. I had a kazoo right now, I'd blow it. <laughs> so the, this uh, is what happens. Don't when you forget, have this is too many OGs. Twenty years in business, right? As of this year, by the way, twenty years of doing this shit. Congratulations. Congratulations. So. Um, wow. So, but with that said. Um, 
Yeah, I've heard that. <laughs> <laughs> and I've heard a lot of other stuff. But uh, and, and in fact, that that frame picture back there, that another good thing for radio is that original, <laughs> um, that original photo that was on the wall when my original partner and I were homebrewing. That is the story behind Louis' demise, where those guys in that 1800s picture were drinking some dark beer that you know at the time when dark beers were cool back then, and we thought it was cool. We were always toasting them, like Charlie Papazian always said, "Relax, yep. have a homebrew." And uh, so we were always toasting these guys, and and it turns out they're at the wake for great great uncle louie and who was killed in a bar fight in sheboygan so that that's how that kind so of we, oh home, well man. we were toasting to louie's demise too so well, i want i actually want to touch base now i just yep. thought of something so the larger bottles yep. you said it's a limited run but would it ever come to a point where those are so hot that you go to the 12 ounce and mass distribute it, you know, like there, it's, irregular line? the problem is I, I can't think of, there's a couple maybe in that series that would even warrant that discussion because when you talk about what we're doing here with this, this gin barrel-aged OG, Great Lakes kicks us two or three of those barrels every couple months. I mean, this is really limited. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, we're, we're only able to, if that was a home brewer, that'd be a lot. But it, for, for us, we can't scale it. I know, Same yeah. thing with the Cherry Bounce. We're using so many pounds of cherries in that thing. It's it's really a special beer that we want to release once a year in December and, and have it have it get consumed. And, I mean, we've already gotten Louis Resurrection to the point where, you know, we get enough barrels where we can see scaling that a little bit, just mm-hmm. a basic barrel aging program. But... But the stuff we're doing in the large format right now is all pretty unique. I, I want to keep some of those special and kind of close to the brewery. Yeah, and I don't think you want to, right? I mean, the trend today is rare beers, right? No one's going to yeah. trade for something you can just go down to the local liquor store and get. Someone's going to want something you can only get in one area for a limited time, and then it's one and done. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt about that. And, I mean, some of our stuff even goes, like, some of our stuff is even... Um, only available at the brewery because we don't even have enough to get out of like the gin barrel age og um this is stuff that we, we we send a few cases to a few select retailers but most of it gets consumed by you know when we throw them up for sale here at the brewery so yeah how was that big uh, release party was Good. that your first me, one this year for well the, uh... it was no we we um we do one on milwaukee day okay. um, 411 uh or 414 i mean and uh and that that's the spring gin barrel og but but for the holidays we did we did a series of mondays we actually did four mondays back to back of 750 releases including the bounce release and the and a batch of the gin barrel og just for holiday gifts and everything else and uh, all of them were great it was good so i mean it's just fun to i mean i know as a consumer before i was doing this for a job it was fun to uh i, I would run to a release like that and grab a special bottle that'd be great well our uh, our one podcaster who wasn't here uh, Andy, our, our brand ambassador for physics, he specifically wanted us to, to ask about the Fobab Award. Uh, how how Awards? big? Yeah. Yes. How big was that <laughs> to win the the gold medal at the Fobab, which is you know nationally prestigious? Uh, it kind it, of puts your brewery on the map as far as barrel aging. Yeah, and I think it's cool because you know with the Great American Beer Festival and all those, you know everybody everybody loves a great Great American Beer Festival award, no mm-hmm. doubt. And it's and it's impressive when you win those because there's so many beers there. Uh, we do so many things that are kind of off style guidelines you know when, when you talk about you know, a lot of the beers we're discussing it's it's you can't really slot the beers in very easily so you know when you're in in a group of 30 beers that are you know american ambers or 300 beers that are american ambers it's you know it, you know it's, it's, it might not be the right beer to slot in there but fobab thing is truly based on taste and the styles the style guidelines are broader on based on what they're doing so we've got you know three years in a row where we came out of there with medals and and uh and a bunch of gold so it's 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 really it's gratifying because it, it, it says what you know what we're doing 
you know, is, is meaningful and, and it, especially when it comes to these special things, the Fobab thing is cool because it's, these are all really cool beers coming from all over the country and these are people that really put a lot of time and love into these barrels. So it's, it's pretty awesome to do it three years back to back. And, and by the way, the gin barrel OG, as weird as that is, is one of them that pulled the metal out of there. So That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, no, it is, this is really the, the gin as flavor did, is this. not overpowering. Uh, it's really, you kept the balance, which is amazing because yeah. gin is very strong. You can get too much juniper yeah. in that flavor note, and oh, this is still... Gin overpowering this beer. Oh, yeah, it'd just easily. be like... So you guys yeah. had a very delicate balance. Well, and if you tasted early versions of OG when we were experimenting, I mean, it was very hard to get the gin, uh, the, the ginger in balance and some of the other things. I mean, you know, there's a, there's, there's a lot of layers of flavor, and, and that comes at a, at a, at a cost. It takes a, it's a pain. So we had a couple of uh, a couple of our listeners uh, submitted some questions. Uh, this is kind of a Wait new a segment that we're trying. Are you serious? Out. Yeah. Awesome. Hey, there are dozens of them. Yeah. Dozens. Actually, we actually have been downloaded a surprisingly uh, large amount. We had a big premiere, and uh, so we're they open both to... they both submitted. Questions. Yeah. <laughs> All the wives <laughs> and the girlfriends. Actually, my girlfriend submitted two. <laughs> No, uh, we a friend of ours, uh, Scott Daniels, submitted a question. Uh, one of his favorite beers from back in the day was the Black Iron, uh, yep. the Black mm. IPA. Uh, it's also one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, at a time around 2007, 2008, 2009, when the Black IPA was kind of becoming a thing, I thought it was one of the best that I had ever tried in that in that kind of vein. Is there any any plans to bring that one back, or is that still no? Kind that of in the that actually just um, we actually did a small batch of it because you know the, there's stories behind our beers and that one happens to be the story of the Milwaukee blacksmith and uh, and he just had that big series with uh, with Discovery Channel or History Channel I mean and uh, so we we brought back a batch for uh, for that event it's another one like I say when we we're, we don't fully retire beers we put them in the bullpen there's a lot of call for that beer so it's it's about you know oh god what are we you know where are we going to fit it in this year and how are we going to do it we'd loved I mean Black Iron sells really well we've just been playing around with a lot of other things and and uh, even amongst our brewers, it's one of the favorites. It's it's a good beer. So keep your eye out for it. So we're going to wait for the call-up. Yeah, it would be, I mean, or especially the, with the, the exactly, exactly. Scott when you Daniels, see it trotting out in, from, in center field. Yep. <laughs> so if something like that, that was just part of your line, mm-hmm. would that come back possibly as part of your line or as a bottle, as a limited release? It's uh, most likely as a, as a seasonal release, like a winter release. Oh, okay, release. so it's just, okay. a, yeah. just a seasonal. as okay. a seasonal release. I mean, again, going to that conversation we had earlier about the, the brand family, I mean, to be honest, you know, it's just, it's very hard to rationalize putting things into the year-round lineup when, when as it is, we're like, oh, Holy cow! We got you know we, we we keep adding beers and we're not taking any away and uh, you know so there is a point where you don't want the our fans to be confused. That's all. But. all right, and uh, one other listener question: uh, Our good friend uh, Vince Clore, friend of the podcast, was asking. Uh, he'd gone to a beer tasting. I believe it was the Milwaukee Beer Fest, uh, the one on the lakefront, and you guys had the uh, the fire truck out. He was wondering <laughs> how long did it take to get the fire truck ready and uh, what. Does it have a, a, a beer siren? What what sort of uh, capabilities does where that is thing it? Have? Where is it housed right now? <laughs> yeah, well, it actually is over at the, our new Pabst construction site. With it, our new building is huge, so it, we've got all the all the all that stuff is over there. But um, well, I mean, when you own a brewery, you get to do fun things no matter what. And <laughs> that seems like and it, yeah. uh, I. 
the idea of having a, a fire truck that was converted to a you know to a kegerator was just one of those things where you uh, who else and who else could drive home with a fire truck and and rationalize that you know <laughs> other than somebody that has a brewery is like what are you doing with a fire truck and the bottom line is fire trucks are are great because they're the best maintained vehicles in the world they have to be the ones that I was looking for were all you know the vintage stuff come out of a small town that had to make this thing run for 40 years or something like that so this thing was retired by a little a very small town in Tower Minnesota and they sold it on eBay you know for a couple thousand dollars and the thing had had 8,000 miles on it from 1972 so it felt a little it was a little painful to take the torch to it and start cutting into it to put the beer cooler in but but from the outside as you guys have seen it looks still like a, a vintage fire truck and it drives great so have you driven it oh I drive I drive it to Madison all the time for the great taste yeah And, and it's doing the Lord's work it is not that it wasn't before, but it Absolutely. is even more now. So it, I mean, it's uh, we've put more miles on it than the fire department did in forty years. We've done in, in four years. We've, we've yeah. We we actually are thinking though. Um, we might move to a different promotional vehicle. We might change Retire? over. We might re- well. There's the another. Bullpen. So bullpen. when I when I bullpen. so when I was looking at, when I was looking for a fire truck, I looked all over the country to see if any other breweries were doing this because I didn't really want to poach on someone else's idea. And turns out someone else is now kind of running with that idea so yeah, somebody somebody so local. so i i have another idea <laughs> that we might be debuting this summer that might be just as awesome if not okay. well breaking awesome. news yeah. again breaking, as we gotcha do on the Ooh, and, and, and actually that's a, that might be a that might be a, a hint breaking news yeah breaking, breaking news as we do news, on the non-fail podcast yes. studios right. so. take notes <laughs> yeah stay tuned <laughs> And, and then, uh, one other thing that we wanted to talk about sure. was the uh, at the Milwaukee Ale House for you know folks who are local or you know even if you're out of towners you've got the Midwinter Beer Fest coming up. We do. Thanks for mentioning. I've that. been there. I believe the last four years mm-hmm. uh, with you know some good friends of mine. It's a fantastic event. I think some of the alumni from the the Badgers band come out and oh, yeah. do a little performance mm-hmm. every year. How how uh, how fun is that and how important is it to you guys? Well, the the importance to it of it is it's one of the original. You know, this is our 20th year of doing it and beer fests have become pervasive but this is one of the originals it's it is at a time of year when there aren't really many beer fests and the the culture of it is you know is cool because um you know, we, a lot of our friends from the other breweries around Wisconsin are coming and having fun and bringing their good stuff, and it just becomes, it's, it seems to be a really fun atmosphere for the brewers as well, which makes it fun for the people sampling. It's small, so you've only got, you know, you, you're talking about 500 people, and it may not sound small, but compared to the thousands that show up at other events, it's relatively small, so you have access to the beers. Um, but the biggest thing is that, like some of the other events we do since the beginning of our company, is 100% of your ticket proceeds uh, go to the MAC Fund. So oh, it's nice. not this isn't there's a lot of for-profit uh beer festivals nowadays and we have i mean the the brewers do a great job volunteering their time you know they get paid for their beer but all the proceeds of the you know of the ticket price so it becomes a pretty nice over the over the 20 years every year they get a check in the 20 to twenty five thousand dollar range for four hours of drinking so you're you know, saying that, if you that, don't go you're a terrible person I yeah so, <laughs> that's fantastic because yeah. for those yeah. who may not know the mac fund is a fund to fight childhood cancer correct which you know who's thinking of the children the mac fund is thinking of children and jim mckay and jim is also thinking All the, you'll see it over the course Proxy. of the year believe it or not i don't know what it if it's just um trying to feel good about what we do or whatever but we uh, all the charities that we support tend to be uh, education or kids focused so we do a lot with children's hospital and the mac fund and they're okay with getting some beer money thrown their way it's great 
Well, that, that's all the questions I have. Well, actually, I have one in. more question. <laughs> uh, of course how have I not been in the mug club? I've been telling you this since the first thing. Oh, wow. I've never, I've signed up. Been my first thing. Hey, aren't you running out of, aren't it's you like, running out of like tape a here? Drink. I think we're running out uh, of We're actually down to 30 no, seconds. He's taking a nervous drink. Yeah. Yeah. an hour. I signed up for the mug club at the Ale House my first week when I started working in the third ward, and that was in 04. I have not received a call yet. Oh. And we're almost out of time. And we're yeah. almost out of <laughs> We're out of time. No, so seriously. Thank, you, thank you. Thank you so much. This has been yeah, fun. It's been really fun. And yeah. uh, and I can't wait to, to hear the final version when you guys blind taste, the, or not blind taste, without me taste the bounce and some of these other things. It'd be good. Yeah. No, it's going to be awesome. Absolutely. So, thank and, you. Uh, Let's and, get uh, one more cheers here, boys. All right. One more cheers. cheers. Yeah, cheers. cheers. Thank you. Fun. Well, what an amazing interview. And thank you again for Jim McCabe for spending some time with the Tap Takeover podcast. And for you who are spending time with the Tap Takeover podcast, we appreciate you as well. And we would love to hear from you. Uh, our Instagram is tap underscore takeover underscore podcast. Our Twitter is at tap takeover pod. Gmail, tap takeover podcast at gmail.com. And Facebook, tap takeover podcast. Please reach out to us. Like Andy said, we'd love to hear your reviews of beers that we're about to try before we even try them. We'd even love to hear your reviews of our uh, Brewer interview series. What do you think of the beers that we just tried? Do you agree? Do you disagree? We, we welcome all comers. And we'll read your emails. We'll read your thoughts. We'll read your comments on air. We, we'd love to uh, debate with you in this medium. I mean, this is what we're all about. We're all about talking about beer. And not just among ourselves, but among you as well. I mean, we'll lead it off with our brewery series too. Brewery interview series, I should say. But uh, what we're going to go into is, you know, what makes your state the best, like we said before. Uh, give us some feedbacks. We're going to do, you know, our obligatory uh, California episode. Our uh, uh, obligatory, you know, East Coast hops episode. And delve into different stuff and even beers we don't like. I mean, like, we've had big discussions on how, you know, the rating systems are... You know, that they're kind of bullshit sometimes. I mean, Jim's got a lot to say about that, too. <laughs> Jim, you've got some, some very strong yeah. opinions. Yeah, I, I've been holding times. back on the whole beer advocate and rate Let beer, rip, but um, we'll save that for a, another episode because I have some breaking news from the Solid Non-Fail podcast studios. Oh, send it to us. MKE has won 2016 Microbrewery of the Year for Milwaukee. So congratulations to Jim. On that breaking news. Congratulations, Congrats, Jim. That you know what fortuitous news <laughs> we're having just covered Milwaukee Brewing, you know, destination of the year. That literally uh, in Milwaukee Magazine, ago. you know, rated wow. him number one, uh, and I'm voted on by fans of. And citizens of the city of Milwaukee, that number one microbrewery in Milwaukee. Fans of craft brewing. Here we are. So we have one more beer to tell our listeners about. It is the Grand Madame Barley Wine, aged in cherry barrels. And it was actually really interesting when we were in the brewery for our big interview. Uh, We had somebody lead us around to tell us about some of the barrel aging stuff that they'd done. And the inspiration for the name for this one comes from the fact that Milwaukee at one point was the prostitution capital of the United States, of the Midwest at least. Uh, And that was mostly because we were right on the train line. So this one was the Grand Madame because uh, I I don't know, maybe they thought Sherry was a good name for a Madame. (laughs) It it takes some of that Milwaukee tradition and I like the naming and the branding aspect of it. What do we actually think about the beer? Uh, For me, this was this was, I I get where they're going you know, with this beer. 
it's a little bit different. It's it's that barley wine flavor, and what you get right up front is that sherry, you know, the the, the dry and the sweet sherry, and then it it disappears into another kind of dry and sweet beer. Yeah. So it's a little it's a little tough for me. It this one might be one that needs to get laid down for a year. And yeah, it might yeah, yeah there's a definitely a lot of dryness going on. Uh, I think the it is eleven and a half. Uh, ABV here, so there's a lot of potential here with this, and it definitely has the mark, as we've talked about so far in our interviews with the brewers, that this is a beer that needs to be cellared, and this is, of course, fresh coming out. So I think a lot of the alcohol is masking some of the flavors that will come through later on. See, the trouble I have with it, though, is that there are beers that need to be cellared, I guess, and then there are beers that can be cellared. You know, for instance, the one that we just tried, the the Gin Barrel Aged OG, I think it can be cellared, but I think that one's a really fantastic beer right up front. Yeah. Are we saying this one absolutely needs to be cellared? And, well, and, and well. if, if that's the case, are we, are we going to call it? a bit of a fail i don't know well boys i mean the cherry really dries it out but it for me it, it kind of takes the taste away from the rest of the barley wine it's so it, just, it is dry on dry without a doubt yeah. so they are stacking flavors so i do waver a little bit in questioning that approach to the spear um, but I, I would like to see it in a couple of years see how it does age out I could say that selling might help this beer. Just so, might. So not not your cup of tea. No, no not, not, not at all. Not at all. So I would just, I, I guess I got to challenge you a bit, but as you know, we saw in the Black Friday series, the longer a beer ages, a lot more of the barrel flavor comes through. Not that sherry in itself has a ton of flavor in it, but, you know, uh, it is, sherry is done in North American oak because it's more porous than in uh, French or Spanish oak. Well, that's so, interesting. Yeah, th- so that might add or subtract a, a little something from the aging process. Who knows? All I can say is hopefully the dryness of the actual sherry that's soaked into the barrels is is, is gone after that, that three to four year point. Yeah. I would say. So the actual oak of the barrel sets into the beer. Yeah. And, you know, that's the beauty of the aging process or the cellaring process is you never know what the beer is going to end up as. Sometimes it, it starts amazing. It ends up not so great. Sometimes it starts a little questionable and it ends up being a fantastic beer so i am really excited to see what this beer tastes like in a year and i think we should do a a memorial podcast for our second episode try this beer again in a year we we, we can do a memorial because i'll 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 put that to rest tonight and and i think this is this is definitely a beer that has a love-hate relationship either you love it or you hate it i can see why some people love because on the nose the bouquet you get a lot of the sherry you get a lot of flavors it just it's not there on the palate right now the physics did a lot for it on on the palate i'll say that okay because we did two side-by-side pours i mean i have a tulip glass i I poured it into a little sample glass that had you know that a a tighter tighter mouth on it i got a lot more head and that microfoam head kind of opened it up a bit more give it a nice you know a smoother mouthfeel and it's creamy but it, it just still wasn't there for me on the back end and it's definitely a beer you gotta serve at cellar temperature. Yeah. And speaking of cellaring, um, Andy, I believe you had a bit of a challenge to throw down for uh, some of our. Uh, we've done two interviews now, one with uh, Russ Klish and one with Jim McCabe, and we've talked to them both about their cellaring collections. Well, these guys both, you know, 
came out with uh, references to their sellers. So you know what? We we started off with two really strong interviews from uh, local uh, Milwaukee craft brewers. Um, there's some new players in the market like Good City. Tried their barrel aged stout. Um, right, actually, right before what our first uh, episode, our first recording session, and uh, that was really good too. So uh, I'm sure those guys have some impressive stuff in their cellars. Uh, so we're trying to throw down a little challenge here. Well, you've you've both got some, Jim and Russ. You've got some impressive stuff in your own cellar. Yeah, but come on, man. I I don't own a brewery. I've got some good stuff in my cellar, but <laughs> come on. Like you know, like Jim said, you know what normal people have, like Dark Lord and whatnot. <laughs> I'd like to throw it on a challenge. Let's get all these guys together on a podcast and let's let's do a mass sampling. Let's do a tasting together, right? And I'll let's tell you what. Let's do a beer share, and a I'll seller you, share. I'll tell you what. Let's throw out a challenge to our listeners as well. Let's see a picture of your seller collection. Throw it right onto the Tap Takeover Podcast Facebook page, and we'd love to see a picture of your tap collection. Let's yep. see, you know, let's see what's taken over your taps at your house. Take yeah. us on Instagram, you know, we'll we'll, we'll reshare. So I got. I was talking to an individual today. They said they had an extensive, even uh, at least by sheer number, uh, put yours to shame. Oh. So I would love to see photographic evidence of this. Yeah, everybody so can talk. The, the person, the person, picture who didn't happen. Knows who they are. I, I believe that it exists. I would just love to see this. Hey, let's do it. Hey. Well, that sounds fantastic, and we can't wait for you guys to come back and check in with us on our third episode. I know we've been teasing the Michigan trip. Uh, hopefully that'll be our third episode. We had to kind of shift things around because of, well, you know, birds and whatnot. <laughs> so, uh, you know, come back with us and uh, check us out. Uh, until next time, I'm Alex. I'm Jim. I'm Andy. And keep that tap collection going. Peace out, y'all. Cheers. Cheers.